This is RDQI. Hey, right. How does your car work? Uh, <laughs> um, well, I put a key in the ignition. I depress the brake pedal and the clutch because I have a manual. And I turn the key and then a bunch of magic happens. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I know that I can change gear. I can slow the car down with my brake, which I know I generally know how to, a brake works. It's friction on material. Well, so, so far you're describing that you know how to operate your car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's basically the truth. I don't know how my car works. Not really. Not even close to it. I mean, I, I have mental models of how, say, an internal combustion engine works um, or how a hybrid battery cell works, uh, how steering mechanisms work, how brakes work, and, you know, differentials and transmissions. I have mental models of those things, but... I couldn't tell you a darn thing about how they actually work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I, for reasons that will be uh, very apparent to somebody who I know is listening to this podcast, I should know way more about how cars work than yes, I do. You and I should. do a, a, a little bit just because of, uh, you know, osmosis throughout the years, but like... I certainly could not build a car or really... Well, that's going. Let's hang on. Let's scrap that. I I certainly couldn't, you know, fix most problems that happen, you know, to my car. I certainly could never build a car. I could build a Flintstones car, maybe, but <laughs> sure, it's not very useful though. <laughs> um, the reason I bring it up though is I was thinking the other day about how how technology has has evolved to the point where i really know very little of how like the nuts and bolts behind how most of the stuff i use on a day-to-day basis actually works and i i started to sort of contrast that against you know past times in history and i i at, at first i was thinking well you know we used to 200 years ago, we could replicate any, any human being could replicate any piece of technology, but that's not true because we were building aqueducts, you know, in Roman times. And I don't think your average person could figure that out. No, but not probably not, but, but by and large, you know, you could smart people have engineered things by looking at stuff. Like you can look at the aqueducts and you could say, Oh, okay. It's, it's slightly elevated. Um, you know, so it's gravity feeding water. Like, okay, this is how it's built. This arch has something to do with it. What does that do? <laughs> right. But yeah, you know, if the world were to end tomorrow and I, and a bunch of smart people, but not, you know, computer engineers tried, like looked at my laptop, we would not be able to recreate it at all oh sure like okay so if civilization's wiped off the map and we get like a thousand years in the future some people find your laptop and like let's say that all that technology just was wiped right all human knowledge mm -hmm. of it was wiped those incredibly smart people who found your computer 
would look at it and be like, I, I got no idea. <laughs> it's it's cool. Yeah. It looks cool, but it doesn't do anything. Those those people back then must have been dumb, you know. <laughs> I, <laughs> the scariest part of this is, I. <sighs> How many people living today do you think could build a computer and not not build a computer the way that a gamer would build a computer by buying a hard drive and buying a fan and putting, right. you know buying a assembling case. components that's not, basically yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> right right I'm talking about building a computer you know how many people really know the secrets to that? I mean, I would argue maybe that there's no one person who could build a computer because the specialties required to make the subcomponents that make up the components that make up a computer. I just don't, I, <clears throat> I have a feeling that that knowledge doesn't exist in sing, inside a single person. Um, but that's also one of the strengths of humanity is it doesn't need to. I mean, that's, that's kind of why writing is such a, a big deal is that you can write down like, hey, here's how you use this device. And as long as someone can read your, the script, the text you wrote, they have access to your memory, basically. I mean, we've, we've harped on that a couple of times. But mm -hmm. it is a little alarming when it's like, I don't know how any, like, in, in truth, I don't know how anything works. I can see how that's, yeah, it's kind of alarming. Oh, that's a cool idea to explore. You know, we're only able to create something as complex as, as you know, amazing, let's say, as the computer, because we've evolved as a species to the point where, you know, it requires so much specialized knowledge in so many different fields, but we can all come together to to build a laptop or let's take it even a step further to build a, a phone that basically has, you know, the world at your fingertips that you can put in your pocket and run around with. Mm -hmm. um, so in a way, it's it's truly amazing because it, we almost have to have, you know, this many specialized fields to be able to create something like that. But is it ever, or does it ever become a problem where that knowledge is so disseminated that any that any somehow disruption to any of those streams of knowledge topples the whole system? Like, you know, maybe there's somebody who understands how to sort of build a phone from components, but, you know, they have no idea how to manufacture a chip, which is so different, right? I mean, right. I, I don't. The only thing I know about it is it requires a lot of rare metals that are very difficult to obtain. But what if that knowledge goes away? Well, I think, I mean, there's got to be, we, I think as a species, we've lost t as much memory as we've created um, because things fall apart. You know, we lose uh, a civilization and all their writing gets wiped off the face of the earth. I mean, like, think about if the Rosetta Stone had never been discovered. We, we still wouldn't know what all those hieroglyphs in ancient Egypt actually mean. You know, it wasn't until that was deciphered because the Rosetta Stone had, I think, three different languages saying the exact same thing. And since that's the first time that, you know, people who were inclined towards this idea found something that actually existed like that, we were able to realize, oh, like, the hieroglyphs, actually, it's, it, it works this way, and now we can read what is written in all these tombs and everywhere in ancient Egypt. But before then, it was all just a total mystery. I mean, it was just like, oh, that's some pretty drawings. I mean, that's pretty much what it amounted to for other humans. Because the language, the hieroglyphic language in the hieratic, which is the like a sublanguage below that, it's like the casual form. It's like the slang of hieroglyphics. 
that also evaporated in terms of human knowledge probably before the time of um before the roman empire even came about so like we lost there was a point in time where we lost the under the ability to understand the entirety of that civilization's written record here's a key difference that i see though um that knowledge was lost, but all we needed was a quick little, you know, how-to guide, essentially, for <laughs> sure. later yeah. humans to really understand it. But so much of, you know, the the knowledge that's required to do some of these technological marvels is in and of itself complex and indecipherable to the modern human. Like, if you if you and I picked up a manual on how to build a chip... <laughs> like it could list step by step. We still wouldn't be able to do it because it would be written based on the fact that, hey, you're also probably a silicone engineer. <laughs> right. Yep. <laughs> yeah. You probably have a PhD is probably the where they're starting at. You know, if you've ever um, read a cookbook by a chef who is writing for other chefs or you've written a recipe that is sort of like behind the scenes, you know, recipe from a chef to another chef. It assumes a lot of knowledge that the average person doesn't have. <laughs> That's true. And spashcock the chicken. It doesn't right. tell you how to spashcock. <laughs> it just says do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, take uh, like the starting ingredient could be six soft boiled eggs. Okay. Well, how do you soft boil an egg? That's something that your average chef should know how to do and understand. But if you don't, like if you don't know how to cook, you're screwed. You're not going to be able to, to figure out that recipe because you can't soft boil an egg or you don't even know what that means. Sure. And to your point, spatchcocking a chicken or turkey, like if you don't know what that means, you're like, okay, well, I'm lost at step one. <laughs> um, so so that's, I, I think, the the difference. And... There's, you know, I think, I think everybody's kind of had that, that thought. It's a, it's a fun thought experiment to have. It's a little bit of a scary thought experiment to have, but you know, if the world were to end tomorrow, mm -hmm. if, if something, you know, akin to like the black plague were to happen tomorrow, you know, where something like a third to potentially half of the population dies, our lives would change more dramatically than they ever would have changed in history because so much of what we take for granted today would be completely lost and possibly never rediscovered in the same way. That isn't, yeah, that's a very good point. That's very true. Oh, man, yeah, the bubonic plague really mucked up Europe and a lot of other parts. Not too. to... Yeah. And yeah, it's funny, to, it's funny that like we can say this in the middle of a pandemic and be like, it's still not that bad though. I mean, it's bad, but it's not that bad. Um, you know, it's not two thirds or a third of the population for sure. Just disappearing. But yeah, I mean, it would, it would fundamentally reshape society and cultures therein, you know? And so that would naturally affect our, you know, what we do with our, our, our time and our thoughts. Because, right, if, if, let's say, half the world's population just disappeared, all of a sudden, like, the Internet is still just as important and as viable, but it would be used in a different way, you know, depending on the dispersion of the, the surviving half, I guess, you know. Yeah. Um, but even then, like, with half the population, can you keep all, can you keep the lights on, you know? And can you keep those connections that really make the Internet succeed? Can you keep those operational? And I think you could, but it would look really different than what it is today. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's 
you could toy with this scenario for a long time, but I think just based on the complexity of the systems that we've created, that if you removed half the knowledge base from the planet, you'd have to go pretty far back to start again. You couldn't just say like, oh, well, okay, that's fine. We'll, we'll sort of continue on. Like, no, nah, the banking system would probably collapse, you know. Man, we would probably. <laughs> probably start from scratch there. <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't be like scratch. It would just be like level two, you know. <laughs> yeah. Or if you take like the, the lens of an evolutionary biologist, you know, someone who kind of studies how an organism adapts to its environment or its ecosystem over time. And they're usually looking at it, you know, an organism on a genetic level. And we're really talking about societies and ideas and how people relate to each other, which I think there's, I think that's a pretty decent analogy. But I think what is interesting that an evolutionary biologist might say or indicate or point out that this might be true is that as the environment gets more complex, an organism becomes more complex to meet the challenges. And I think there's even the inverse goes about too. If, a, or if an environment or ecosystem becomes less complex, that typically the organism will become less complex as well. Now, I am not a biologist. I'm not going to pretend to understand that. But it, it, I think it does have some, you know, some crossover to what we're talking about. Because if you're living in a rural community where all your needs are met by, you know, pretty much by the 200, 250 people in your village, and it doesn't matter what time in human history, it could be a thousand years ago, or it could be today. I think in general, as a social creature, you're just going to be a little less complex than the person who lives in the million person city, whether that be, you know, Rome at the turn of the, you know, two millennia ago, or if it's Chicago or New York today. You know, you're just, you're socially going to be more complex. It doesn't mean you're a more complex person. Let's not mix that up because you can be um, very plain, let's put it, while living in a complex environment. But I think there will be aspects of that person that will be more complex. Does that make any sense? Yes. And so kind of does. what we're saying about our technology is like, we didn't, we've had computers for a long time. They've just been humans who've computed math, right? Maybe we use the tool like an abacus or something like that, or a piece of paper to help us, but we've always been running the computation. And then the 30s, 40s came around and all this theory for how to make something that would, a machine that would compute for us, kind of became real or became technically feasible. Now it only became technically feasible because all these people were pushing, you know, material sciences farther than ever gone before and you name it. So there's all this complexity driving all these industries for that all of a sudden make the idea of a computer possible. So you need the you need the push towards complexity to get these these milestone steps forward. But I also see your point. What if you regress? Can you get back to that same point in the future? That has a tricky balance. Well, and I also think it's interesting the statement that you know the more complex the environment, the more complex the individual. Because on the one hand, I agree with that. On the other hand, I almost think it's the opposite. And and let me explain what I mean. So. You know, in terms of complexity of understanding, I think it's pretty safe to say that the average person today understands much more complexity than human beings at any other point in history. Yeah, right? Maybe. <laughs> That's a good... Uh, I'll have to think about that one. Let's just say yes. How about that? Well, okay. I mean, let's take the let's take the car example. Like, yes, we can't build a car, but we understand the concept of combustion, at least in theory. Right. Yeah, you know? that's true. We understand how, you know, 
Well, I mean, look, look, read through the topics of this podcast. Like, <laughs> fair enough. We can <laughs> we try and speak and learn about a lot of different, very disparate, unrelated, or possibly all related, but you know, very very different things. Um, at the same time, many of us really specialize in certain things and are almost completely. Um, incapable in other areas. So like, let's say that 300 years ago, half the population was eliminated and we had to kind of go back to this like self-sufficiency, you know, tribal kind of communities to, to survive. Like you, people would be able to survive because there's certain knowledge that, you know, most people could feed themselves. Most people, you know, could probably grow things for themselves. Um, I, I mean, there are a lot of people who have never cooked a meal in their life. Right. But that's also partially because they don't have to. Well, well, right. But, but I don't know if I, I feel like there was more of a well-rounding 200, 300 years ago because you had to know a little bit about a lot of a couple different things. Whereas today you can, you know, be a software engineer and, you know, work for one of the big tech companies and literally have every other aspect of your life taken care of for you. Well, I mean, sure. But the division of labor, that's nothing new. Just because our division of labor is more sophisticated doesn't mean that it's any less robust. But do you think that, I mean, my argument is that, or not my argument, because I see it sort of both ways, but you could you could make the argument that, 300 years ago, a human being could do several different things fairly competently. A human being today could very likely do one very complex thing very competently and nothing else. I don't think you give people enough credit, Dave. I I mean, (laughs) even if you're 18 years old and you're a barista at Starbucks, you are incredibly competent and you can handle a lot of things. I mean, first off, you can deal with customer service. That in and of itself is a skill set to be valued, right? Um, and you can probably take complex and memorize complex. No, they're not complex. I've worked there. You have to know recipes and you have to know them quick. You have to have it rote memory so you don't have to process what you're doing. You just do it, right? While you have a smile on your face and try to make the f- person feel happy. That's a pretty complex behavior if you think about it. Now, it's only a barista at Starbucks. And yes, it's an hourly low-level job in our society. But it's still pretty complex. Now, admittedly, again, <laughs> if half the population dies customer service all of a sudden isn't going to be a huge priority necessarily, right? Like your priorities will shift. I get, I get your point that a a person, you know, they, we know so much more about so many different things, even if we don't necessarily do them professionally, but at the same time, there are things that largely are only useful in this like place and time. Well, but that's all that matters. Survivability. (laughs) Well, until, until it's just you and you know, you're, your small community having to survive and it's like, okay, does anybody know how to grow food? <laughs> hey, I mean, I, I firmly believe that even hum, any human could adapt to that situation in a small community. I think so. Well, yeah, I mean, arguably we did. <laughs> right, <laughs> <You know>? right, yeah. <laughs> we all got here somewhere. Our ancestors did a lot of, you know, adapted to a lot of situations, yeah. I get your, but I think I get your be- point, though. Like, would it be possible for us 
to fundamentally lose some knowledge that is critical to who we are today. And I think that's that's possible. I also don't think that they would like ruin the world, you know, the future for humanity. I think it would just be a different future. No, you're right. If there's one thing that I learned working on farms and studying agriculture, it's that, you know, ecosystems are highly adaptable. You know, life life finds a way, as the great Jeff Goldblum once said. You do bring up a good point about how when there's like a complex organization, you know, say a village that's getting, has got grown in population, it's very large, and so there's a bunch of people that have to sh- like do each other's work for each other to make the system work. And it's like, well, what happens if the miller dies? Like, is there anyone else that knows how to run the mill? You know, that sort of thing. Um, that's incredibly important. And I think to sustain those kind of systems, you know, the, the young people that need to be brought up, the youth that need to be brought up into the system, they need to be taught how to like actually interact with whatever that system is, you know, whatever the village politics are or how the mill works, you know, all of that thing all of those aspects. And obviously you're not going to have some person who can do every aspect of this thousand person village because that would be extremely inefficient. That person would be really bad at 999 other things, basically. Right, right? It just doesn't make sense. But if you teach someone how to just learn how to do something, it doesn't even need to be the thing they'll ultimately do. When they do you know, come of age, let's say, and decide to enter the workforce, this is a really weird analogy all of a sudden, like they can adapt to the environment because they've been taught how to learn. So it's not necessarily knowing the specific details, but learning or knowing how to learn to do something. I completely agree in in today's world. You know, I think everybody at some point, well, not everybody, but I certainly did. I know a lot of people did. When you're memorizing the Kings and Queens of England, you think to yourself, like, why? I'm never going to use this. Right. But school is not teaching you facts and figures. It's teaching you, sometimes it is, but more importantly, it's teaching you how to learn, how to be self-sufficient in a knowledge economy. Right. Um, and that's completely true. I mean, I can I can adapt myself to situations all the time. The, you know, when I first started, I, I always hated math, surprisingly enough. Um, and I did really terrible in algebra because I never really saw a use for it. Um, and then I went into finance and then I remember at one point having to solve for, like solve an equation in a different way. I and mean, it wasn't phrased that way. It was like, well, okay, what kind of profitability do we need if sure, we have this yeah. kind of revenue? And I was like, oh, wait a minute. Like that's an algebra equation. And I just sort <laughs> of like wrote it out as an algebra equation. And hey, we remember factoring and foiling? Like, oh, cool. Okay, I can move these pieces around and solve this problem, um, which like it's funny i didn't i never got algebra until i entered the workforce sure and now i use it all the time but um i think that there is still a difference between learning how to learn in the knowledge economy world and learning how to learn in the like very basic survivability world um because i know a little bit about basic carpentry and you know handy work stuff um but let's take um I, I i don't know when you're doing something from a physical perspective it's 
I don't have a lot of those learn how to learn skills. Like I don't have enough of a good foundation to be able to build off of that. So I, I feel like in a, in a world where, you know, I have to be completely self-sufficient. Like, fortunately I can grow some food, but can I build a house, even a really crappy house? Can I, I, I don't know. Does this, is this thread making any sense or should we scrap this? All no, you, <laughs> look, Dave, this all makes perfect sense. If you're worried that somehow you need to be self-sufficient tomorrow. Uh, absolutely. If that's a prime concern of yours, then you probably need to figure out how to build a house. Um, I'm going to put all my chips in the fact that civilization isn't going to collapse tomorrow and uh, hope it works. Because I hear you, I hear you, but like it's also a waste. I mean, you, let me uh, let me do this. Let me throw the universe back at you. All right, sure, you don't know how to build a house. I know you have one, though. I know you already live there. It's actually probably where you are right now, is my guess. And so for you to spend time to learn to free build structures with little to no tools and implements, maybe like a hammer with no nails and just a saw. Um, if you learned how to build a house with that, like that's really cool. It will take you hours and weekends and months to learn that skill. And if you're getting something out of it, that's pretty fun. Like that could be a really good time of like self-reflection and, you know, spending time learning something new. Like that's cool. But if we're going to look at it from like an economic perspective, it's a pure waste of time because <laughs> you'll never probably ever need to build a freestanding structure. So like I, I get where you're coming from, but it's also like it's not, if it's not necessary, then why do it? You know, the, that perspective, like why adapt to a situation that won't happen just on the off chance that it might. And I know every Boy Scout and Girl Scout, everyone's like, well, always be prepared. You know, it's a very good thing. But there's some certain skills it's like it's just more efficient to not to not do, to not remember, to not even learn. Like I was, you know, I've riffed on this all the time with you um, off mic, but like, sure, I work in, you know, web development and things like that right now. But really, you could just call me like a professional Google Googler. Like, I don't remember half of the syntax of any of the languages I know because I don't need to. You know, I have books for that. I have the internet if I really can't find it in a book. Like it, it's, it's a waste of mental effort for me to memorize certain things that can be looked up. Now you can also say like, yeah, but you really don't, you truly don't understand C sharp or you really don't understand C plus plus or Java or any of these things. Be like, that's fine. I will, I will, I'm okay with that. Cause long-term some of those specific you know syntax of language it's not important the pattern of how that language works and how the process works and what patterns you can engage with to make it work the way you want it to that's what's really important so i hear you but i also think it seems like a romantic motion notion to me to be like oh we need to learn how to be self-sufficient because i think that's a fallacy because why we don't have to be nor should we be <laughs> You know, like, I don't think people should be self-sufficient because then we wouldn't have any reason to be together. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely get your perspective and, and a lot of uh, a lot of your logic honestly makes more sense than the self-sufficiency logic. Um, but but I think, you know, there's still a large um, a large minority of people that, you know, 
are really, really kind of tout the self-sufficiency lifestyle. Um, and then there's even more people who don't necessarily have it, but still think that, you know, it's a good idea to have some basic skills that you may never need in your life, but it's a just in case. It's almost like a risk mitigation for, sure. you know, what if something bad does happen? And I mean, I, I will admit that I... I definitely fall into that category of, you know, feeling, um, ah, feeling worried that I don't understand some of this stuff because it, it, you know, puts me at the mercy of even, so let's take the car example, right? I mean, I'm in a situation where I've never really had to worry about car troubles because, I have a lot of different connections in my personal life that, you know, work in cars professionally. And so yeah. if I ever had a problem with a car, it's like, hey, I have a problem with the car. And you and then, live in a relatively dense area. It's not like you're 500 miles from civilization. You know, we're like, oh, I've got to fix these spark plugs or else this car doesn't start and I don't make it to the hospital. Like, that's not your reality either, right? Yeah. But, but you know, the auto industry is probably a great example because, you know, those of those of you who don't know and don't have anybody in your camp that know anything about cars, you're at the, you're at the mercy of the people who you go to, to fix your cars. And that's, you know, it's, it's almost a, you know, a cultural punchline that, you know, the car mechanic tries to nickel and dime you out of all the stuff that you don't need. Right. Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, Oh, I think you need this and this and this. I mean, that's like a running joke in the culture. Um, and that worries me because I, you know, at this point, I know that the people helping me out have my best interests at heart, but, you know, there may come a time when that's not the case anymore. And now I don't know if I'm being taken for a, taken for a spin. Well, see, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> and well, this, man, this brings us right back to our value suite, right? Like what, I mean, essentially what we're discussing is do what you think is valuable. And we're trying to figure out what is valuable, you know? And, and kind of going back to your original point, I don't think there's anything wrong with having survivalist instincts or wanting to build these things and have that knowledge. That's cool. Like, if that's your jollies, go for it. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. Um, but there's also the flip side of, like, I could learn, I could learn to change my oil or I could just employ someone else and help put food on their family's table by having them do it for me. Now, sure, if I don't trust this person, they might take me for a ride and, you know, charge me for services I really don't truly need. And that's, that's, I think that's an element of business. I mean, I certainly know how that works. Certainly on the sales side of things, you know, upselling is everything, um, especially in a consumer economy, which we exist in. So it, it's, it's a product of the ecosystem. You know, like you have to upsell in this market. It, if you don't, either you're not, you're probably just not going to thrive very much. I'm sure your company does the same exact thing. So, um, you know, I know everyone who sells something knows about this principle. And obviously no one wants to be, you know, taken advantage of. But that's the interplay of an economy. That's just kind of how value is exchanged is the perception of what is valuable and what isn't. Um, wow, that was really esoteric right there. But that I'm, as, I'm right there with you because because value can be value can hide or be um clouded by the hiding of knowledge. Oh yeah. And this um, most, yeah, I mean, most value is predicated on hiding knowledge explicitly, but like, 
I think it's great, going back to the original question, sure, I don't know how my car actually works. I drive a Honda. I think I've said that before. So I'm sure it's designed in Japan. I'm sure parts of it are manufactured across the world, and it's assembled, I think, somewhere in North America. It might be Mexico. I can't remember. I don't really know. It doesn't really much matter. What I do know is I very much enjoy driving that car. Like it's a, it's a very pleasant little thing to be in. It has a nice backup camera. It's got all the features I want inside. It gets me from A to B. It doesn't leak when it rains. That is much better than I could say for anything I could ever dream of fashioning for myself. And I, I think that is worth thousands upon thousands of dollars. I get that, but do you think that it's it's valuable to to put some time and effort into understanding at least enough to be able to talk competently with the you know the people who are going to be helping you with maintain that vehicle. Oh, and here's, yes. Keep going. Mm-hmm. Well, so here, yeah, here's here's my example, right? I obviously am in finance professionally, but I I think that it is super important for everybody, regardless of their profession, to put some real thought into how the financial systems work, how markets work, how economics work, because the the finance system is designed to make money off of people's ignorance. It's so complicated that if you don't have a decent understanding of this stuff, you will be taken advantage of. Right. I think that's, I mean, that's half the reason we do RDQI is to, A, for us personally to learn new things and learn new jargon, if you will, but also to help disseminate these ways of thinking about things that you don't necessarily haven't necessarily thought about as a listener. Because, yeah, the car is a perfect example. I mean, I, I've i learned a lot about cars in the past 10 years because I guess when I was like 22, I decided like, oh, cars are interesting all of a sudden. Um, so I know enough of the elements that I can talk competently to a, a mechanic and get a sense that they're throwing pure BS back at me. Now, will I know whether they're lying to me or not? No, but at least I'll have like somewhat of an intuition to like, okay, I can look this up later and double check what he's telling me or she's telling me, you know, like you can, that can be done. And I think that's, I mean, you, you, you have well, so to, here's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Here's, here's the question. The stuff that you use every day, the technologies, the systems, how much effort, how much of your time should you put towards understanding that? understanding how those things work.